Our Bible reading today is found on page 1055 in the New Testament section of our Bibles. And we come to what is probably the last parable that Jesus ever told. And uh, we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 20. You'll see that the context is uh, in chapter 19 that Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and then he has gone into the temple and he has overturned the tables there saying, my house will be a house of prayer. Uh, You have made it into a den of robbers. And so in chapter 20, uh, we continue at verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came to him. Tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Well, why then didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent his servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. 
We pray that God will give us understanding of this reading from his word. Since uh, Easter, these Sunday mornings, we've been studying the parables of Jesus found in the gospel according to St. Luke, and that's been 15 of them. And this morning, we turn to the very last parable that Jesus told, and the last parable in this series. It's the final week of Jesus' life. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem for the very last time. He's entered the temple area. He's driven out those who were selling because Luke 19, 46 tells us it is written, says, Jesus, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, do you see that in chapter 20, verse 1? That's a great phrase. Jesus was preaching the gospel. Um, as Jesus was preaching the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? In other words, who gave you the right to preach here? It's very interesting. We're told that Jesus was preaching in the temple courtyard. That's where there had been authorized buying and selling. So as far as the authorities were concerned, it's all right to buy and sell within the courtyards, but it's not all right to preach the gospel. Isn't that peculiar? Uh, i just never seen that juxtaposition uh, uh, here uh, before. Maybe it's not so very different from what was in the newspapers this last week uh, with a 55-year-old bus driver uh, moved on by staff from the grounds of St. Paul's Cathedral for breaching the peace by reading the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> It's, it's really quite peculiar, and yet St. Paul's were quite happy for four months to have the anti-capitalist uh, protesters in the very same grounds. It is really quite extraordinary. So here Jesus responded to the temple clergy, uh, to their question, by asking a question of his own. Tell me, he said, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from man? And they were on the spot and they knew it, paraphrases Eugene Peterson. They pulled back into a huddle and whispered, if we say from heaven, he'll ask us why we didn't believe John. If we said from human beings, then people will tear us limb from limb, convinced as they are that John was John's prophet. So they agreed to concede that round and said to Jesus that they didn't know. So Jesus replied, then neither will I answer your question. Well, before we go any further, will we simply pause and ask God's blessing that we may hear and respond to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It is as relevant today as it was yesterday, and it will always be relevant. Please, will you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in it and grant us the ability to respond in faith, to embrace it in trust, and what we ask is for Christ's glory. Amen. Interestingly enough, the story which Jesus went on to tell the people after this encounter with the religious leaders is 
very easy to understand. Unlike many of the other parables we've looked at over these past weeks, this parable, which incidentally is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this parable is almost completely a straightforward allegory. The man who planted a vineyard, verse 9, is God. In Isaiah chapter 5 in the Old Testament, we are told there, for example, that the vineyard is a metaphor for the children of Israel, the people of God. And the people who heard this story would immediately have made that connection. They would know that if it's talking about a vineyard, that's talking about the covenant people of God, and and, and God was in charge of the vineyard. And uh, so they would have worked out very easily that the farmers to whom Uh, The owner rented the land, were the religious leaders of the day, and the servants mentioned in verses 10 and 11 uh, were the prophets that God sent, um, but those entrusted with looking after his vineyard, um, they treated the prophets shamefully. And then verse 13, the much-loved son who was abused and killed Uh, He was none other than the Lord Jesus himself. So it's very simple, very simple to understand. It's profound, yes, it's powerful, but it's very straightforward. In fact, it was so obvious that in verse 19, the teachers of the law knew uh, that it was directed at them. No ambiguity here. Uh, There's nothing puzzling, absolutely straightforward. As the Apostle Peter, some weeks later on the day of Pentecost, would say to the crowd, you handed over this Jesus to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You were the ones who disowned this holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You were the ones who killed the author of life and put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to say, because it was you who was responsible, repent then, Acts chapter 3, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So this parable was highly relevant at this time. And as we've seen, the scriptures record it not once, but three times. So it's hugely significant. And it's also incredibly relevant for us because after 2,000 years have passed, uh, we have had God's Word faithfully proclaimed to us in this part of the world. In the last generations, we in this congregation have had God's Word faithfully proclaimed year after year. Uh, Messenger after messenger have spoken God's Word. And yet, in our Western culture, Uh, Do we not see a a progressing and prevalent uh, rejection of uh, God uh, in the the, um, uh, public sphere? Do we not see a complete rejection of God's Word and what it has to teach? Uh, Do we not see a rejection of any uh, speaking of Jesus in the public way? And so in the few moments that we have together... Uh, Let's consider three, again, simple but pressing points uh, which we dare not miss this morning. And the first one is this, that this parable uh, teaches us about God. 
It's maybe so obvious, but it has to be said. A man planted a vineyard. He rented it out to some farmers, and he went away for a long time. Verse 9. Um, we've already made mention of Isaiah chapter 5, and uh, this is a key passage for us to understand Luke 20. You may find it helpful, actually, to turn to page 689. Um, Isaiah is found right in the middle of our Bibles, 689. And you'll see that uh, chapter 5 is called uh, The Song of the Vineyard. And this is what it says. Isaiah is having uh, a vision. And in the vision, uh, he has this song, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. So uh, Isaiah's having this vision away in the Old Testament concerning God. Uh, my loved one, that is God, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, he cleared it of stones, he planted it with his choicest vines. And there, this really is a most beautiful image, is it not, of God's creation, wonderfully at peace with itself. God is the creator, God is the landowner, God is the one who has chosen to plant these lovely uh, vines. He tends, he cares for the choicest plants in his world. And the vineyard, we are told in verse 7, the vineyard that belongs to the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. So in other words, God has created this beautiful, this perfect environment, which he has entrusted to his people Israel. He has granted his special chosen people, the ones for whom he has great and abiding love, to be part of uh, his um, care for the universe. God is good, God is kind, God is generous, God is caring. But while God has created this beautiful space, he has entrusted the tending of it to his people. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Isaiah chapter 5 verse 4. But sadly, uh, it goes on to say, when I looked for good grapes, what does the owner lament? When I looked for a good harvest, all I could find was bad fruit. And so back then to Luke chapter 20, at harvest time, God sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants, we are told, beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. Now, a lesser owner would have lost patience at this point, uh, but as we know from the Scriptures, God is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so Luke chapter 20, 11 tells us that he sent another servant and a third, verse 12, and they were also beaten and sent empty-handed away. God loves us. God loves the world he's created. God has provided lavishly and generously for us. God has patiently sought us, wooed us, sent his messengers and preachers in order to remind us of his claims in our lives. 
But God's kindness is always meant to lead us to repentance. And so we wonder how long God will exercise patience with us, with those for whom he has cared so patiently. So that's the first thing that we learn in this parable. We, we see what it teaches about God. But then secondly, do you see what it teaches about us? Luke chapter 20 is spoken to those to whom the gospel has been preached. Verse 1, uh, Jesus has been preaching the good news. So the parable is directed not to those who have never heard the gospel or Jesus, but those who have. So it's clear that God has an expectation of those of us who have heard the good news to respond to him. The owner of the vineyard anticipates a good harvest. The one who has planted and tended the vines expects good fruit. But what does he get? He gets rejection, insolence, arrogance. Instead of honoring the son, Luke chapter 20, verse 15, the decision is made to kill him, to get rid of God's Christ, because then the inheritance will be ours. We will become like God. We will become the Lord instead. Over the summertime, I've been reading a very interesting book called How We Killed God and Other Tales of Modern Ireland by David Quinn, the social and religious commentator for the Irish Catholic, the Irish Independent, and Sunday Times. It's a very sobering and penetrating analysis of Irish society and how in spite of all the benefits of our Judeo-Christian morality, which has built Western civilization, official Ireland and official UK have all but banished God from public and private life, reducing him to the role of a servant of our wishes. If God is called upon in today's society, it is only if there is, a, is an abnormal trouble or, um, or, or something that has caused us great angst, then there is a call to prayer or people uh, pray then. If we happen to get into trouble, then it's okay to call on God. Otherwise, he mustn't be in the picture. Um, he's there at our wishes when we need him, but certainly not to challenge and definitely not to judge us. Uh, and that's why his book is called How We Killed uh, God. But of course, there's a bigger picture than that. Humankind and ourselves included, verse 14, have killed God as it were in anticipation that we will be the ones who are in charge. The inheritance will be ours. We will take his place. But look at the world we have ruled, not as respectful husbanders, but as arrogant demagogues. Again, you might like to glance back at Isaiah 5 and verse 11 to see some of the sorry picture. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night to lay are inflamed with wine, 
They have harps and lyres at their banquets, tambourines and flutes and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Uh, On Wednesday night at the midweek, we were simply acknowledging before God the places of our benighted world, suffering the consequences of man playing God. Pakistan, 150 dead, including 31 in the day of the general election. Syria, more than 200 dead this past week through bombs and blasts. Greece, over 80 dead through wildfires, perhaps even human-induced. And at the same time, the same number of dead in Japan after its current heat wave declared a national disaster. And meanwhile, The leader of the Western world, according to an article in yesterday's newspaper, makes up at least eight untruths every day and creates fake news. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. How are you supposed to know? But uh, this is the world in which we live, the world we are responsible for, the world of which we have been entrusted as husbanders. And uh, here at home, things that have Uh, always been considered as bad and harmful, are not merely tolerated, but are now celebrated. Woe to those, it says in Isaiah 5 verse 20, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, verse 23, and deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, in Isaiah 5, verse 24, as tongues of fire lick up straw, as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay. This is the natural outworking of us playing God. Their flowers will blow away like dust. They have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Do you know there's, there's no pleasure in highlighting these things? None. But look, we have to. Because Jesus' parable here of the wicked tenants not only tells us about God, but Luke chapter 20 tells us it teaches about us and how we have gone so badly wrong. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to those who kill the air? What happens to the tenants who utterly spurn God in the perverted hope that they, not he, might be king? And the answer is located in chapter 20, verse 16. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard it, Uh, That is, to those to whom the gospel message has been proclaimed, people just like you and me, they said, may this never be, surely not. God wouldn't abandon us and give his affection to other people instead, would he? But Jesus looked directly at them and asked, what does this verse, this verse in Psalm 118 verse 22 mean? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he in whom it falls will be crushed. Well, that leads us into 
the third and final thing that we can see from the parable because it's concerning judgment. We've seen what the parable teaches about God. We've seen what it teaches about us. So the third thing we see is what it teaches about judgment. And the image given here by Jesus is of a builder working away with a large pile of rocks and stones. All the fine, large, rectangular stones are taken, they are admired, they are put into place. Well, that odd-looking, that worthless stone, which is neither beautiful nor regular, is pushed to one side. Until that is, the building is nearly finished. One final rock is needed to, to put in place at the very capstone, the, the very pinnacle of the building. Just one final stone is needed for that place in order for the whole thing to be made secure. And lo and behold, the very stone that has been pushed to one side, the one that has been despised, the one that has been rejected, funny enough, that's the very one that turns out to be the one that slots into place and makes the building complete. Everyone who falls on that stone, verse 18, everyone who despises the very best, the finest piece, will themselves be broken to pieces and he on whom it falls will be crushed. The one rejected now will be the one who is vindicated. He himself will be its chief feature. He will be the standard by which everything and everyone else is going to be judged. And to repudiate that stone and attempt to build one's life on some other foundation is only to court further brokenness and ruin. I, I don't know if any of you saw the video clip on the BBC uh, news site this past week. On the 23rd of July, a 100 uh, kilogram stone from the top of the Western Wall in Jerusalem came crashing down just a few feet away from a 79-year-old woman. What an image. So powerfully contemporary with this illustration here, this parable. Beware when a stone that has been 2,000 years in place from the temple falls and breaks into pieces at your feet. Dear help the one on whom it falls, for they would be crushed. This final this last parable of the Lord Jesus teaches then of the inevitability, the devastating nature of judgment, not on those who have never heard, but on those who have heard the preaching of the gospel, but those who have chosen to despise, to ignore, ultimately to mock the son, the heir of the owner of the vineyard. This is the last and the final parable that Jesus ever told. Before in chapter 22, he's betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, crucified by Pilate and Herod. It's probably the most straightforward, probably the easiest to understand of all of Jesus' parables. 
And yet it's recorded not once, but three times, telling us it is surely one of the most important. Here we learn about God. Here we learn about our human condition without God. Here we learn of the consequences of rejecting God. But here this morning, as we hear God's Word spoken, we also have the opportunity to respond to what God is communicating in His Word. He is wonderfully patient, but He's not indifferent to how we choose to react, to welcome, and to honor the Son. Shall we pray? To those who have been entrusted with much, much is expected. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, when we take your mercies for granted. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, when we have a view of ourselves that is not in conformity with your will and when we regard ourselves as one in charge of how we want to live rather than how you want us to live. Our Heavenly Father, if we are to be conformed to the image of your Son, the Savior, we need your help. We cannot change in our own efforts. We need your help. So collectively, our Heavenly Father, we recognize our weaknesses. We recognize our arrogances. We recognize our willfulness, and we confess it before you. And pray, our Heavenly Father, where we are unable, we recognize that you are able. So soften our hearts. Incline us to yourself. And as your word is open to us, and we see ourselves reflected in your word, enable us to respond, not with indifference, but with repentance. Please will you hear our prayer, for it is made in the name and for the sake of the one who told this parable and for his glory. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we praise you for scripture, for words of truth, invitation, challenge, and warning. Help us to heed your word and to live our lives in faithful love for you and obedience to that word. Holy Spirit, guide us now as we pray for parts of your world, a beautiful world where we see your glory and creation, but a fallen world where you are rejected more and more where there is evil, suffering, fear, and sadness. And we pray for places where life is hard and where fear is high. We think of Syria, 
where war and violence seem unending and where more people have been killed this week. Lord, we pray for healing for those who have been injured, comfort for those who have lost loved ones, shelter for those who have lost their homes, and perseverance for those in refugee camps. We pray for physical and mental strength for aid workers and medical teams. We pray for children who have suffered unimaginable loss and injury. <clears throat> and thank you for those who work with them to provide education, comfort, encouragement, and hope. Strengthen your people in this trial. Thank you for their witness as they help any who come to them, for miracles they have seen you perform, and for their light in the darkness. May that light draw others to you. Please change the hearts of those in power so that they will use that power to bring this suffering to an end. And for world leaders who are involved, make, help them make wise decisions that will bring peace. We pray for the whole Middle East and Arab world, for stability and peace and freedom to worship you. For the new government to be formed in Pakistan following last week's election and, and number of deaths, that it will be fair in its leading. And for a peaceful outcome to the election in Zimbabwe, leading to stable and good government. We live in a frightening world where wars, events and disasters make us feel things are out of control. We think of Japan where so many people have died, first in floods and now in extreme heat. Of Greece where so many people have died as a result of desperate fires. Be with those in both countries who suffer, that they will get the help they need. We pray for rescue workers, firefighters and hospital staff working in difficult situations with limited resources as they deal with horrific injuries. We pray for people in great distress to find hope in you. Be with Helen as she works to share that hope. Give her opportunities in the depths of language she needs. We pray also that the fires burning so fiercely in California will be brought under control before there are more deaths there. We live in an uncertain world where people feel anxious, insecure, fearful and in despair. And we pray for the families of the children who have died recently, some by accident, some by evil and cruel acts. Comfort them in their distress and bring people near to help. But we also live in the world where you, O Lord, are sovereign, where you are working your purposes out, and we trust your goodness. We pray for the Prime Minister and government. Give them wisdom as they make decisions that have far-reaching consequences. For politicians here, that soon they will resolve differences and work together for the benefit of all our people. We pray for camps and missions and other outreach events, and especially for our young people who are serving you on teams. Increase their faith and joy in you. And for the young people and children attending the camps, open their eyes and their hearts to follow you. Father, we pray for each other, for those facing the long wait for treatment, results, or decisions about their future, for those who have been bereaved, those anxious about family, those who are sad, <clears throat> and for those who are rejoicing in happy events. Free us from the past, from vain regrets and hurts in our hearts. Free us from worries today and fears about the future. Free us <clears throat> to live for you each day this week, to stay close to you in all situations, good and bad. We thank you, our Father, that you have given us hope for today and for the future. 
And we look forward, Lord Jesus, to the day you return and make all things new. Until that day, we pray knowing you hear and answer our prayers, for we offer them in Jesus' name. Amen.